Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, for sake of those viewing online, welcome to Kesset. My name is Danny. I'm going to be sharing with you. Welcome all of our guests. I know that uh, there's a lot of wonderful things happening in our city, a lot of wonderful things happening in a lot of churches, and I'm, uh, I'm honored that you took some time to come and visit with us if you're brand new, so thank you very much. Uh, we are in our uh, second talk within a series right now we're calling Out Loud, and it, it's a pretty straightforward series, but today's talk is going to be uh, really, really blunt and upfront. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not apologizing for that, I'm just giving you a heads up that uh, you, you may leave here emotionally uh, battered a little bit, and I think that it's okay. I think that if you're really honest with where you're at in your spiritual life, today's a really good opportunity to question some things. And uh, I know for me, anytime I question what I believe or I question how God works with me, uh, I always feel a little bit kind of knocked around, and uh, I think that might happen today. It did during the 9, and it was beautiful. Uh, lots and lots of people had lots and lots of awakenings. And my prayer for you today is, is that that happens for you as well. Uh, I'm going to dive right into the series. The best way to kind of encapsulate this is with this idea that Out Loud is about how to experience God's plans accomplished through his promises within our lives. So how to experience what God has for me accomplished not through my own efforts and through my own will and through my own discipline, but accomplished through his promises that I can proclaim in scripture, and how do those promises then uh, work themselves out within my life. We've been looking closely at a passage in 2 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 1 today. If you have a Bible, feel free to turn there. I will also have verses on the screen, but I want to tell you, uh, if you don't have a Bible and you want one, write on your Hello Kesed card, I need a Bible, especially if you don't own one. We will get you one because there's nothing like having your own. It's, it's cool to follow on screen, but man, you, you should scratch this thing up and be highlighting and writing and arguing with God. I mean, this is, this is, this is between you and him, and uh, it's, it's helpful. So consider that. I'd love to get you one if you don't have one. Write it on your card. Uh, last week, we studied verses 3 and 4 about what we just said, about God's power and how they work to fulfill his promises in our lives and how we can, can use those powers and those promises to live our lives out loud, to live our lives in such a way that we're making a difference, that we're being effective, that we are accomplishing more than just trying to get to retirement or trying to get to that better job or trying to get to that, that envisioned family thing that we think will make us complete. We need to realize that instead we serve a God who hopes and who believes that we are more with him, and that's exactly what he's offering through those promises. We're going to dive into what the rest of the series is going to look like, starting in verse 5 through 8. We're just going to talk through verse 5 today, but I want to read verse 5 through 8 so you kind of know how this is going to unfold, what path we're going to take to helping us better understand what it means to live our lives out loud. So let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, and I'll read it up here with you guys. It says this, For this very reason... Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. This is the verse we're going to study today. Continuing on, and to knowledge self-control next week, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. This pathway, okay, leads to this effectiveness I spoke to you about. For if you possess these qualities, these things we just talked about, in increasing measure, you don't just get to have them, they have to increase, 
they will keep you from being, look at the verse, ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a profound passage. And if you slow down like you should, and you, you, you envision it in front of you, and then spin it around and really look at it from all kinds of angles, it starts to unfold all sorts of direction in your life spiritually. That's why some of the things we're going to talk about today are going to be blunt and fairly upfront, because everyone in the room is in probably a little bit of a different place spiritually. As a matter of fact, the sermon I'm preaching to you today, I think I had to hear it five times before it actually impacted me, before I actually had the epiphany and was able to get through the steps I'm going to teach you today that, that I went, oh, wow. Now, each other time I heard it benefited my life. So I want to say something to those of you in the room who are going to hit a wall when they come to step one that I'm going to unpack. That's okay. Be willing to rest in that. Still learn about steps two and three that are going to walk you towards what we're preparing here. But be willing to sit in your own emotions. If you hit step one or step two and you're like, that's all I can take, that's all I can handle, it's okay to be present and frustrated with where you are in your spiritual journey because that's a great place to wrestle with God, to talk with God. And then, of course, I think some of you, you've heard this talk similar before, but today may be your epiphany. Today you may go, oh, you may have your, as they say, aha moment, and this may change the way you view God and this world and yourself forever. That would be my hope. But I also know I've got to do my job and I've got to preach to those of you who are still within the process, even if you don't get all the way to the end. Amen? amen. All right. That was so weak. You guys are ready. That means you're ready. You're like, amen. All right. I feel like I need to lick the bottom of my shoes now. Like, we're, are we going for a run? We might be. All right. Uh, I'm going to teach something. I'm going to give you kind of a, a, a set of handlebars to hold on to because this is where we're going. I'm going to teach something long passed down from Christian follower to Christian follower, and that's this. How to break your own heart, and learn to live with a Christ-like posture. If you want to live a life truly out loud, as a matter of fact, frankly, if you want to just follow Jesus, it takes more than raising your hand in a well-crafted service or message. It takes more than sitting in a coffee shop and having someone explain who he is, and suddenly you get that warm feeling that inside says, I believe in God and I believe there's more. It takes something really, really difficult that usually takes... For some people, a lifetime. For other people, they're willing to engage in it at a, at a deeper level. It takes willingness within your story to break your own heart. And this has been taught from generation to generation to generation to generation, from Jesus to me, from the person who taught me now today to you. Now, you may not get it all. And as I said earlier, that's fine. But you're still going to hear from me today just what it means to truly follow Christ and truly live a life out loud that this world cannot deny is spiritual and beautiful and powerful. Four different times God's word talks about this idea of your heart breaking. Ezekiel eleven nineteen, 19, Ezekiel 36, 26, Jeremiah 31, 33, and Hebrews 8, 10. If you want to follow up on those verses, they're on all of my sermon notes, which are on our church app. You can check all that out, everything that we're talking about today. I'm only going to go through Ezekiel 36, 26, because I think it's the most straightforward. It says this, God's talking, and he says to his people, to you and I, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
Now, we read this verse, and oftentimes we read these verses from one point of perspective, and we, we read them from the understanding that, that, that God's going to come down, I'm going to accept him, and then we're going to go to sleep like we do when we have a surgery, and then God's going to remove our heart of stone while spiritually bypassing us. He's going to set our heart of stone over, and then he's going to call in the special heart he made for us. He's going to put it inside our chest. We're going to wake up. He's going to do this super cool glowing hand thing. We're not going to have any heart. We're just going to wake up new creations. Uh, no. That's not right. As a matter of fact, the Bible calls us born again, and I don't know if you've experienced live birth, but it is messy. There's all kinds of pain. There's all kinds of struggle. There's all kinds of heartache. And in the end, there is a new life if all goes as planned. And the reality is we read verses like this, and we, we use a fairy tale perspective of what is actually going on here, when in truth, this should be a radically invasive scary in some ways warning about how God's about to approach us. I'm going to take your heart of stone out and I'm going to put in a new heart. But we also know that God says in many other verses, because scripture translates scripture, that he knocks on the door and we have to open it, that he waits for us, that he goes out and calls for us and we come to him. So it's not as if you're just walking down the road one day on your way to get groceries and God goes, heart of stone time, boom, and pulls you over and you're like, what's happening? Tears off your shirt. He's like, I told you, you knew this was coming. No, it's a conversation. He says, Danny, Danny, you accepted me. Yeah, I did. You believe in me. I do, Lord. I have faith. Let's open that heart of stone up. Oh, I'm sorry, what? God says, let's open that heart of stone up. It's time. It's time for you to be more like me and you to be a little less like, well, you. And at first, you protect yourself because that's what's normal, like most of us are right now, especially if you've never heard this. Be okay. Be in that place. What is he talking about? I came here to be mended. I came here to have my heart healed. I came here to have these cracks that the world has, has, has hurt me with and this, this trauma that I've been through. I heard that Jesus makes all things better. Oh, my friends, Jesus does. But Jesus doesn't restore, per se, as much as he replaces. He doesn't just take your heart and then add a little bit of him. He says, that's got to go. I'm going to replace it with something of me that will never, ever, ever deteriorate, that will never weaken, and that will never leave you. I'm going to give you a piece of myself. But you got to stop and open the door. You've got to decide to take this first step and allow your heart to crack just a little bit to see Jesus as he offers you this replacement. If we're going to receive what God's word really means for us, we first have to read it expectantly like this. For only from this expectant place with his will being the end goal can we truly receive the meaning of what God is offering to do for us all? And I'm going to say this as boldly and respectfully as I can, but if you're not reading God's word or listening to his message expectantly, then you are really just pretending to try. I'm not saying you're not trying. That's where a lot of people get offended with me because I'll call out these things and then they're like, oh, I'm trying. I'm like, oh, my bad. I meant you're pretending to try. I meant you, I meant you do get up. And you show up and you lace up the shoes and then you run as fast as you can while the cameras are on. As soon as we take a corner, you're like, Cinnabon time. And a lot of you are in spiritual Cinnabon. When you're supposed to be training, the Bible says, for the race that he hopes you win. I'm not, I love some Cinnabon, so don't, don't let that go too far. Because if you see me in Cinnabon next week, don't be like, what? What a hypocrite. That's not what I'm saying. But it's an amazing analogy that I feel is appropriate for most of us in this room. We have to believe that what God is saying is real. We have to expect it. 
and we have to plan for it or else we're just pretending to try. Psalm 34, 18, here's a beautiful verse. Let's just throw it out. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Oh, love this verse. People use it all the time, especially when they're hurting. I know one thing, Pastor. I know God is near me when I'm hurting. That's true. That's true. I know that when my heart is crushed, that God is present. And I'm like, that's true. That's true. Then as the heartache leaves, because it all eventually does, eventually we'll stand in a service and we'll sing songs about God come near, about God be close, about God don't leave me. But have you ever noticed how no one ever sings and asks for the heartache part? See, we all want to be close to God, but nobody wants to have their heart broken. And yet that's exactly what the verse says. He's near to the crushed and brokenhearted. Oh, wait a minute. Read it in reverse. God is crushing and breaking hearts of stone, and that's why he's so near to them. Because he wants to be present, and he wants to be replacing the thing that's poisoning you from the inside out. God wants you this is a profound thought, and this, this probably is spiritually more than I should be saying, but God wants you always more than you want him. Always. You have never wanted God as much as he wants you. You've never, ever, 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 no matter how broken and how crushed, wanted God as much as he wants you. Ever. The closest you can get to, 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 to truly reaching out in, in great need and wonder is when your heart is broken and crushed. And that's why you have to learn how to answer that door, how to crack that door, and how to allow those first cracks into your heart. This morning's passage is the pathway to do that. It starts off with this, for this very reason. Now, he's, he's, re he's referring to the earlier verses that we studied uh, last week. You need to notice that for this very reason is important because we can't move on to the next two things in this verse that are going to allow us to break our own hearts without understanding what's in the earlier verses. So let me just remind you, verse 3 and 4, what they proclaim. It's reminding us to look at the description of what God has already done for us. Verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. So verse 3 says that I can't do it on my own, and we need to remember that God is the one who will help us do it. And verse 4 says, through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. In other words, I'll put it on the screen, he's saying, what I'm about to say matters, not because of my own gifts or promises, but because of the gifts and promises already given. He says, I'm going to tell you some really hard stuff that you have to do in your faith. But before I do, remember this. God already said he would take care of all the most difficult things in your life. And he said he would do it in such a way that his promises would be fulfilled. And that you would have the ability to participate in who he is. You've got to trust him. You've got to trust him. You've got to lean in to who he is and what he's about. The very next phrase then steps us right into this path. 2 Peter 1.5 says, Therefore, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Make every effort, because of these things that God has done, because of these works that he has done, you now have the responsibility of making every effort to add to your faith goodness. Goodness equals virtue or moral excellence or better yet, godliness. 
Make every effort to add to your faith godliness. Godliness fits best in this verse because true goodness is actually a description of who God is and that he is good. James 1.17 says every single good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He says there is no good outside of God. He is good, and you need to add his goodness to your faith. Jesus, for those of you who are still kind of wrestling with whether that's true, that all good things come from God, Jesus said when people called him good who didn't think he was God, right? They doubted that he was God, but they thought he was a pretty good teacher. I mean, you're, you're, you're raising people from the dead and feeding thousands, so I'm going to give you good. I'm not going to give you Messiah. I'm going to give you good. And Jesus says, sorry, it doesn't work that way. Jesus says to them when they called him good, why do you call me good? And then he makes this proclamation. No one is good except God alone. God is the only good being, all good. And that's, of course, a reflection of his godliness. Peter starts with this because herein lies a very important shift a very important shift in perspective one must acquire to advance any further in the heartbreaking process. And this shift in perspective is also step one, and that is that you have to trust that God is good. You can accept that Jesus is Lord and not trust that God is good. You can accept that Jesus died on a cross and have faith and even believe in him. But if you cannot accept that God is good, without this core belief, your heart cannot be fully surrendered to God's will and ways. And so ask him to reach within your soul and hold your deepest heartaches. You just won't do it. This is the first wall that some of you aren't going to be able to climb any further. I'm going to have to leave you in this portion of the sermon and God's going to still teach you other things, but the reality is there's a, probably a large group of people in here who believe in God, but you don't really in your core believe he's good. And that's why you can't trust him. And that's why your faith is, is childlike and shallow. Because you haven't really trusted that he's not a representation of that trauma you experienced when you grew up. Or that divorce that hurt you so badly that you prayed about so fervently. You don't understand how God could let these things happen. And because you can't trust that God is good, you can't give him those hairline cracks in your heart that really are a beautiful doorway to more and present time with him. Some people will think, when God's not good, I'll work out my own salvation in order that God might, might work in me. But the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his... Look at, there it is. <laughs> it is God that does it, not you. But you have to know that he is working in you towards your good pleasure. Or like other people think, you may say, I press on to make it my own in order that Christ might make me his own, that I'll do this, that I'll, I'll straighten up my life, I'll clean up my story, and then eventually God, then, then I'll give you my heart once I don't hurt as much. But Paul says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He says Jesus has already proclaimed value over my soul as cracked as it is and he wants me with all those fractures with all that brokenness then with Christ at the helm if you can trust that he is good if you can open that door and receive that crack in your start of 
stone of heart, you will unveeringly become more like him once he enters into your life beyond just your faith, beyond just your brain, but truly in your heart. That's why we say, have you accepted Jesus into your heart, not have you accepted Jesus into your brain? A lot of people, we need to, re, we need to change it because a lot of people are like, I got the brain part, makes sense. Nobody else can fulfill 5,200 some odd uh, prophecies, all historically proven. Nobody else does this stuff. This makes sense in my brain. Awesome. He wants to come into your heart. Will you open that door? He's knocking. He wants to replace that broken heart that's been wounded by this world. But in order to do it, he's got to break it all the way out so he can put what he wants all the way in. And then you're like, nah, nah, nah. I said you could come into my brain. I never said you could come into my heart. If you can decide that God is good and trust whatever he wants to do with your heart and you can hand him the aches and the cracks and the hairline fractures and you can open that door enough for him to reach in and put his hand on your shoulder, you will, as I said, unveeringly become more like him. Suddenly you will have a posture more like Christ. Suddenly your life will look more like Christ. And suddenly you will, you will be able to have relationships with people that don't meet your expectations, with people that don't return your love, with people that judge you and fill your life with pain and even people that completely abandon you. Because this is the pathway that Jesus walked, that he called us to walk. And when you and I open the door and let Jesus hold our hearts, he then takes us to places that remind us just how much we need to rely on him in the first place. And therefore our hearts begins to crumble. But it crumbles in the hands of Jesus, people. It doesn't crumble in the hands of someone who doesn't know. This stone of heart starts to crumble. And suddenly verses like Psalm 51:17 get seen from an entirely new perspective as Jesus reminds you that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. Suddenly you read verses and you're like, oh no, God's trying to break my heart. He's trying to take everything I hope for and exchange it. And I believe he's good and so this forces me to move on to this next step. Last week, we talked about God's goodness to you. When lived out through your life, will bring him glory. But once this narrow road of goodness, once you accept that God is good and you open that door, is realized it has a very predictable and very interesting effect on everybody's story. For within it, a difficult-to-ignore dilemma occurs. A tearing slowly starts to happen. Last week when I opened the series, I had multiple people tell me, this is so where I am. I don't know how to be in this world. I don't know how to love people. One beautiful lady came up to me after service, and she said something like this. Every day it feels more and more like I have to make a choice between breaking God's heart or the heart of someone I love. What, a, what an authentic place where you've accepted God's goodness, you know what he wants, but you also have this tearing between what this world proclaims is true. Herein lies perhaps the most common ache of all humanity. Do I choose to deny God's will and choose to to honor both my own desires and the desires of others above him, keeping my heart protected? Or as Christ did for me, do I instead choose through faith to hold God's promises and glory above myself and anyone else but yet suffer the, profit, the process of a tearing heartache. Step two is choose to die to your own selfish desires. Once you believe that God is good, then what begins to happen is you begin to spend face-to-face time with Jesus, and suddenly you realize Jesus doesn't want for your life what you want for your life. And that's offensive, even coming from Jesus. 
He's in the room now. The door's been opened. There's starting to be a tear. And he's like, I want that. And you're like, nah, listen, I said you could have my heart, but let's just take it at a pace that I'm willing to survive. And Jesus is like, oh, I wasn't worried about your survival. I'm not concerned about about what you're concerned about. I am above time. I am above worry. I am above concern. And what I'm concerned about is you. And the best thing for some of you in this room is not survival. Because this life you've built needs to die. I'll even go a step further. The best thing for every one of you in this room, including this guy, is not survival. Because this life that without Jesus I would build would need to die. To die to self is to set aside what I want in this moment and focus instead on loving God with everything I've got and valuing others as highly as we value ourselves. I like this quote. Dying to our own selfish desires moves us away from self-centeredness and closer to becoming, here it is, vulnerably hearted followers of Christ who care deeply for others. You want to love this world like Jesus loves this world? Split your heart in half. You do not have the right to talk to someone about about these vastly important spiritual things unless you love them. There are things that happen inside marriage, right, that the Bible says belong in marriage. Did you know that a lot of the confrontation that we see on Facebook and and, and in the world and on on the world stage, a lot of these confrontations about people's belief systems, their core values, their world views, these kinds of things are, like marriage, supposed to happen in the context of love where people can feel that you care about them, where they can feel that you're hurting, and that although you have the answers, you aren't the answer. And so what you are doing is simply standing in a gap to proclaim Jesus who is the answer, and you can't take it personal because you're simply a delivery boy or girl. But when every single blow you land is personal and heated, I had a guy one time say to me, they were writing an article about me, and they didn't know if it would be favorable, and he said, listen, you got to go meet with the people down at the paper Uh, because it might not be favorable, and you need to protect God's church. And I leaned forward, and I remember saying this. I said, the last thing God needs me to do is protect anything. Like, God is not worried about his church. He's certainly not worried about an article here in Clark County, and the last person he's worried about is me messing up what he's doing. Like, I had good plans until Danny got in the way. (sighs) Guess I'll start over. We view like this all the time. Like, I got to post. I got to set this person straight. That's bad theology. This stuff is supposed to happen in the context of love. And that's why so often it brings so much damage. Just like, by the way, things we do outside of marriage that happen outside of marriage bring damage. God has a rhythm and a harmony and a shalom to how he operates. And he says, first you trust that I'm good. You let me in the door. You receive those hairline cracks to your old life. And the next thing you do is die. You die to your selfish desires, to what you want, to who you want, to your own will. Matthew 16 says, because I'm just going to pour gas on the fire while the room is already hot. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever wishes to save his life, whoever wishes to be profound in the kingdom, whoever wishes to make a difference, will steal the end of the passage that we read earlier. Whoever wishes to be effective, that person has to lose their life. It's, a much easier, it's much easier to pay attention to the concerns, interests, and needs of people when our own interests no longer consume us. 
when our heart is cracked in half and not functioning in full volume, instead barely kind of creaking in the back room because Jesus is the voice we hear, suddenly the concerns that fire us up are the concerns he cares about. They're not the concerns I care about. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, do nothing. Okay, listen to the verse because I'm not, I'm just going to read it to you. And I need you to hear it because it's really important because I know some of you are emotionally and mentally squirming right now trying to get out from underneath what the Holy Spirit's doing. So let me just block you in. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. This is not a Christian to Christian verse. It doesn't say do nothing out of uh, selfish ambition or conceit with other Christians. But if the world steps in, man, you drop those gloves off and you bare knuckle everything because I need to, people need to know I'm for real. Make sure you protect my church. It says do nothing out of selfish ambition. How many people preach and teach and, and post out of selfish ambition because they're, they're using the gift God has given them of knowledge or wisdom or articulation to down other people that they haven't even entered into a context of love with? You want to live a life out loud? It better be the voice of Jesus that people hear and not yours. And Jesus says, this is how you do it. You set down your ambition. You set down your conceit. You step to it. You choose to die to your own selfish desires. Remember, Christian means little Christ. And you cannot avoid feeling that truth if choosing his path. You just don't get to. You have to step where he stepped and walked where he walked. To follow Jesus is to consciously make a decision to break your own heart. And yes, it's going to hurt. It is going to hurt. You're going to have to like sit in a relationship with your spouse when you know they're wrong, which happens all the time in my life, (laughs) and just be humble, just be humble and be still and think, what would Jesus do right now? It's a goofy bumper sticker, but it's a great approach. The reality is, you know, what probably happens in my life is my wife more often knows that I'm I'm wrong and she's better at loving me maybe than I am loving her. And so suddenly we're both working towards this end that isn't about who's right or who's wrong, but it's about who's more loving whose selfish desires are being set down more often. Once you make the choice to follow God like this, to set down your desires after believing he's good, inevitably his virtue and goodness will be added to your life, allowing you to step into the wondrous knowledge of who he is. And that's the last part of today's verse, 2 Peter 1.5. For this very reason is what we started with. Make every effort to add your faith, goodness, that's what we just preached about, and then this last part, and to goodness, knowledge. Knowledge equals wisdom to follow God's will. Knowledge equals wisdom to follow God's will. Colossians 2, 2 and 3 say it differently. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. Here it is. Namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Perhaps we could render it like this. We'll put it up there. As you have obtained faith in Christ and stand in it, do not be satisfied, but press on to increase your knowledge of God's will. The Bible is crystal clear about God's will for his children, and it's this, that we all advance in all the qualities of Christ, that we believe God is good, 
and so open the door and expose our heart, that we set down our, our, our selfish desires and so experience the cracks of our identity being restored and, and rewritten and it's, it's terrifying and it's scary and it's like, I don't know what's gonna happen, but the control I wanna have, I know isn't gonna benefit who I am. And so I have to instead know something else. And so what I choose to know is not what I can control, not my future, not good and bad and all these things. What I choose to know is Jesus. And I choose Jesus. This is what I choose to know. Because it is Jesus that determines my will. And when he determines my will, when he determines what I do, then in that place I can advance. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is, there it is, good and acceptable and perfect. See, once your heart's split open, all of a sudden your mind has nothing to do. It has no anchor to hold on to. And so this mind that was trying to figure stuff out, this knowledge that you need to know, suddenly becomes tied to your broken heart, and you just know that God is providing and that he is, I like this next verse, abiding in you, John 2.6, 1 John 2.6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Ephesians 5.2 says it even further, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The irrefutable evidence that God's power has been given to you by faith is that you are now making every single effort, as verse 5 says, to advance in the qualities of Christ and so suffer as Christ suffered and live as Christ lived. This is leading us to the third and final and I think most difficult step you have to be a person who lives a life filled with complete and total reliance. So hard. I was stuck at step two for like, like I think maybe six years. I knew God was good. I survived cancer. I survived a pretty ugly divorce my parents went through. I survived a pretty rough adolescence. I survived uh, a rough start to our marriage. I survived some stuff, and I knew it was because God was good. And I knew in my heart of hearts that, that I was obeying and that I was present and that I was trying. And then when it came to this step two, I decided I would set down all my own selfish desires, and I would walk into ministry like like churches don't work, pastors fail, these things, they just, they're just, it, they're the worst place you can go if you're someone who's type A like me and want to succeed and achieve and develop, is to walk into a church. I was like, this is, this is so gross, I just don't want to do this. But I trusted that God's will and desires for my life were what I wanted. And then all of a sudden, at the start of this church right here, almost 10 years ago, coming up, I realized that God wanted me to leave the comfort I had and start this church. And I was like, oh, that's, yeah, that's, listen, I've got step one and step two. I'm feeling pretty good. Step three is like, like, I don't want to rely every bit on you. I mean, you're good, and I'm not selfish as I was, but I want to still do like some of the stuff I want to do, and I want to know that I've got enough for my future and provide for my family. God, I, I this is, this, I, I can deal with the broken and cracked heart, but it still beats just a little bit. You're wanting to rip the entire thing out? That means if you don't put in something new, I'm, I'm going to cease to exist. And that's, that's the scariest thing for all of us, isn't it? To cease to exist. And Jesus says, but I want your heart. And if you want to be like me, Danny, then you have to follow where I followed. And I remember reading Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions, 
Listen to this description of Jesus as a person. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. I wish I could make this last step easier for you, but I cannot. The truth is, if you want to stop pretending to try, if you want to love God and value others higher than yourself, if you want to make every effort to add goodness and godliness to your life, then you have to go where Jesus went and love how Jesus loved. I stand on this stage today before you, not as someone who has accomplished anything, but as someone who has died a very specific death. I planted, along with very close friends and family, some people here today that helped me start this church. And you might think it was like this beautiful seed that went in the ground and we watered it and it just grew and we were like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Let me just tell you, that seed was fertilized with the deaths of our identities, with the deaths of our dreams, with the deaths of our security. That seed was fertilized with the risk of standing on stage knowing I'm just as broken as everybody else and trying to proclaim a God who is still healing as he is still today, my own brokenness. I stand on this stage today as a man who proclaims to those of you who are willing to walk out this epiphany, this great awakening that Jesus Christ once and always has wanted to lead you to an incredible path of heartache so that he, the good God, he, the unselfish God, he, the God who can be relied on and never leaves, will replace your heart of stone with his heart of flesh. You have to go where Jesus went. You have to love how Jesus loved. I pour these words over you as disciples of Jesus Christ. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? These aren't just words, disciples of Jesus. They are a pathway through heartache to life. You must proclaim today and accept the truth that to follow Jesus and so live out the posture of Jesus is to have your heart broken and replaced by his. This sermon will transform some of your stories. For the rest of you, keep on the journey. Ask why the patterns in your life seem to be the same, always bringing up the same sort of blockage, the same sort of dead ends. Sit in that place and see if Maybe it's because you don't trust that God is good. Maybe right now you need to own that you're incredibly selfish and afraid. That's another good word for selfishness is fear. You're afraid no one's going to protect you, no one's going to catch you, that you're not going to go where you want to go and you're going to end up somewhere that's not good for you. But remember what I said earlier, nobody has ever wanted you as much as God, far more than you've ever wanted him. And lastly, if that door is open and that hand of God's on your shoulder and your heart is cracked and broken, then maybe it's time for that complete removal. Maybe it's time for you to be fully reliant on Jesus and who he is, trusting in the goodness he's shown you, trusting in the wisdom of him being the focus and you not being so selfish, 
and trusting in the reality that he is an amazing God who has an amazing future for you. If you can live in that posture, you can go places no one else can and love people no one else can. And this church can be filled to the brim with broken people that cost us a lot. And we will pay those prices over and over and over again, refilled every evening, every sunset, every sunrise with the person of Jesus Christ. How incredible would that be to wash in the spirit of the one who came to renew us and remake us and reach with clean hands the people who are waiting to meet the Savior, to meet the God who brought you here today and asked you to step in. I don't know what this all means for everybody, but I know for me, I've never been more excited to be in a church, to be in this posture, even this building thing. I said, okay, God, what do you want to teach us? What do you want to show us? How do you want us to be? God continues to blow my mind as I continue to be a part of a church that just surrenders to the winds of his ways and the beauty of his plans. I hope you joined with me on that journey. I want to give you some time to just reflect on this. And so if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, let's just pray together. Lord, we are grateful that you can awaken us like you do. We are grateful that you touch our hearts, that you spend time with us, that you are so incredibly patient with us. God, you are the one who develops. You prepare us for every battle. You execute every plan. Lord, may we not remove our eyes from you, no matter the distraction. May you encourage us. May you come alongside us. May you hold us as we cry. May you receive our embraces, Lord, as we race towards you in relationship. May you restore us. Take, God, what would take us on our own decades of trying and decades of pain. God, may you take it and in a moment refresh us from bitterness. Refresh our minds and our hearts, Lord. Give us back the joy of a relationship with you. Give us back the joy, God, of our songs. Give us our voices. May we be generous and loving to you and those around as we live out loud, God, in this incredible place of surrender. In Jesus' name. Amen.